0: Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Bald, Alive in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson Woods. Whether you are watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 29 through 30, Wednesday through Thursday, June 13th through 14th, 2001. It was the first time I had heard music like that. Everything was so amazing the guitar riffs, the drums, the bass, everything. That summer, 1995, was probably the highlight of my life. It was my first time to a beach, Santa Monica, Venice, the best. My first time riding in a VW van, my first time surfing, and my first time listening, really listening with both ear and soul, to music. My favorite bands are still the ones I listened to back in 1995. Excerpts from Adrian's journals. Wednesday morning, Adrian wakes up in intense pain. A nine, she says. I feel helpless giving her Tylenol 3, but it's all we have. Since we already have medical appointments scheduled for today, I call ahead to alert Dr. No about the recurrence of the liver pain. He is not available, but someone at the clinic agrees to manage the pain with Dilaudid, which we can pick up at the clinic until we see the good doctor tomorrow. Adrian nods when I tell her this news. Then she crawls into the car, already exhausted at eight thirty in the morning. We check in at radiology and pick up the contrast drink needed for Adrian's cat scan that morning. The drink is the color of apple juice, but instead of tasting sweet, the contrast has a bitter metallic taste, like drinking liquid copper. Adrian takes large swigs of it as we walk over to the clinic, where her lab work will be done. A nurse calls out Emma, which means it is Adrian's turn. We are getting tired of correcting people, so we let it go. Adrian sits in the designated chair. I stand. I spot the needle right away. There's no need to prick her. She has a central line, I say. On cue, Adrian pulls the line out of her bra and lets it hang over the collar of her shirt. The nurse stares and then states, I don't know how to draw blood from that thing. Well then, I say, find someone who does the corners of adrian's mouth turn up a slight smile without teeth but i'll take it after a competent nurse retrieves adrian's blood from her line we leave the clinic and walk back over to radiology a cacophony of children's voices echoes from the waiting room great says adrian we step over children who are crying muttering in spanish and making other indiscernible noises somehow two chairs remain empty and they are next to each other I pull out a deck of cards. We have our own ongoing gin Rummy game. Adrian is beating me, too. After a few hands, she is bored and draws instead. I try to read, but the constant clamor breaks my concentration. Almost an hour has passed when we hear, Emma Wilson, please come to the desk. Making Adrian comfortable for the CAT scan is no small feat. Lying flat is the most difficult position for her for any length of time. The orderly arranges pillows in an effort to ease Adrian's pain. I wish we had picked up the Diladed already. Adrian removes her metal jewelry, the Topaz ring my stepmother gave her on a trip to Arizona, the black leather bracelet with silver clasp Marilyn gave her just because, and the necklace with the fairy pendant she bought at Save On. Okay, I'm ready now, she says. The machine that resembles the rim of a giant white tire begins turning. I watch from the observation room where the technicians tell Adrian what to do. I laugh because Adrian forgot one piece of jewelry, her leather necklace with a metallic sun pendant. I can see it on the screen. The text says it's okay as they tell Adrian not to move and to be still. I know from having a CAT scan myself, Adrian can see the flashing lights, three orange, one green, and one yellow. Occasionally the red light flashes too. It's like being stuck at an intersection with a car that died. You can't move, so you watch the lights change. Like a Ferris wheel, the tire gradually slows down before coming to a stop. Whoosh! The roller coaster sailed by us, barely a whisper, lost in a din of giggling children, chatting adults, and shooting carnival games. Adrian was sporting a pair of oversized pink sunglasses with blue lenses so I couldn't see her eyes but I knew she was having the time of her life. We were standing in the Adventure Dome, an indoor theme park inside of the Circus Circus Hotel. She laughed as she ran from one game to another, accumulating a collection of useless junk that would always remind her of this trip. Dan and I took her to Las Vegas after her first Christmas in Los Angeles. While he was the consummate gambler, Adrian was the wide-eyed eight-year-old dazzled by the sights and sounds of Sin City. We walked the entire strip, letting her sip our watered-down strawberry margaritas from the Frontier Hotel. The Riviera, the Excalibur, the Mirage, we saw them all. Adrian posed in front of a giant sculpture, her hand touching the chin of a tiger, with a young Siegfried and Roy looming over her the Scarecrow, Tin Man, Dorothy, and the lion stood in the background as Adrian smiled, without teeth, at MGM's Wizard of Oz exhibit celebrating the film's 55th anniversary. It was her only trip to Las Vegas, but it stuck with her. From that point on, Adrian ordered virgin strawberry margaritas almost every time we went out to dinner. WBC looks good. Hemoglobin is slightly low. Kidney and liver are functioning normally, says Dr. No. He has mastered his flat, neutral voice over three decades. It is Thursday, and we are at our official post-chemo follow-up appointment. What about my hearing? Adrian asks. Normal, replies Dr. No. He does not volunteer the most important piece of information, the CAT scan results. When I ask, he looks at me with his sky-blue eyes, his best feature. No change no change? Nothing? No, he says, there is no change. The words hang in the air before falling fast to the ground. No change, which is better than a bad change, but not as good as the tumors are smaller now, or the dots have disappeared from her lungs, or it's a miracle. No change beats me up and then walks away as if nothing has happened. Fuck you, no change. The drone or the doctor's voice brings me back to where we are now. He is saying he does not believe the nausea is chemo-related. If not the chemo, what then, I ask? He doesn't answer. He switches Zofran for Xantac because he worries Adrian's body will become acclimated to Zofran, thus rendering it useless. I am doubtful an OTC like Xantac is going to stop the nausea with no known cause, but I say nothing. Dr. No says to check in tomorrow at 8 a.m. sharp, at four west for the second round of chemotherapy. Can I go swimming? asked Adrian. My sister said I could take surf lessons this summer. Out of the question, Doctor No replies as he looks at me. Public pools have too many germs, and the ocean's waves are too big. She can wade in a private pool if she's careful. I hate how he speaks to me instead of Adrian as if she's not there. One sister discouraged, the other defeated We trudge to Adrian's next appointment. I flip through a People magazine while Adrian takes her hearing test. The celebrity gossip bores me now, so I'm about to put it back on the table when something tells me to look again, from back to front this time. On the last page, I read an article about Shelley Fabre. The actress received a life-saving liver transplant after suffering for two years from an autoimmune form of hepatitis. I glance at the date on the magazine. November 13, 2000. She must be doing well, I think, because if she had died, I would have heard something by now. I tear out the article because it gives me hope, something tangible to hold on to. During the summer of 1995, Adrian met my male friend, Adrian. He always called me Ange, as if my name were Angela or Angelina. It was odd yet endearing, which sums up Adrian's personality. Add flaky to that description. Adrian and I had been co workers in college, lovers when it suited us, and mostly friends. I liked him from the moment we met because of his name. I told him my sister's name is Adrian too, but it ends with I E N N E instead of I A N. Cool, he had said. To me, it wasn't only cool, but a serendipitous sign I was where I was supposed to be, and leaving Adrian with our mother had not been a mistake of all my college friends, Adrian was one of the few who accepted Adrian on her terms, as well as my new role as her parent. I don't know who liked whom first, but when Adrian met Adrian, they took to each other right away. Not only did Adrian take Adrian to raging waters, but he also took her to the beach several times that summer, riding in his VW van, they listened to K-Rock, LA's top alternative rock station. Adrian introduced her to bands I never listened to, such as Jane's Addiction. Blind Melon, Stone Temple Pilots, Spin Doctors, Soundgarden, and Nine Inch Nails. Soon, Adrian was watching reruns of Woodstock 1994 on MTV. Dave Navarro and Trent Reznor became her heroes. Between the dry heat of Los Angeles and salty waves of the Pacific, Adrian planted a seed. With John's cultivation, Adrian developed a love of music. Adrian became the big brother Adrian never had in Aiden who lived with her and our mother for less than a year after my father kicked him out of his house for threatening my stepmother. Aiden, who got drunk and vomited in Adrian's bed. Aiden, who shot seven-year-old Adrian with a BB gun more than one time. Aiden, who hit Adrian but called it spanking. When I visited for Christmas that year and saw what was going on, I came unglued. Our mother did nothing. I imagined she was too busy working and popping pills to pay attention. Aiden was bigger than me, but I was stronger. I held him by his throat, pushed him against the wall. I said, if you ever, ever touch Adrian again, I will kill you. I meant it. Adrian forgave Aiden long before I was able to. My relationship with Adrian grew more complicated as he spent more time with Adrian, who began seeing him less as a brother and more like a father. Long suppressed feelings surfaced. The weight of my heart was through Adrian and Adrian had a one-way ticket. One night, Adrian babysat for me so I could go on a date with a handsome lawyer. Adrian, in rare form that night, refused to speak to my date, dropped to her hands and knees, barked like a dog, and bit him. It was my first and last date with the lawyer. Adrian had a way of weaning out the assholes. Although she never said as much, I think Adrian wanted Adrian and me to be together, which coupled with my desire for more than a friendship, led to disaster. After my car died for the umpteenth time, Adrian agreed to take us to my employer's house for a party. He never showed up. He said he forgot. Then he stopped wanting to spend time with Adrian. Since the warm summer days had fallen behind us, I thought it was too cold to go to the beach, their favorite activity. I asked Adrian to go on a game show with me with the sole purpose of winning money in time for Christmas. Had he stuck to our plan, we would have won the show and walked away with $1,500 cash. Instead, we lost. I didn't speak to him for a month. He promised Adrian his keyboard for her 10th birthday in April. He would stop by Monday, he said. She waited up for him, but true to his nature, he never arrived. Tuesday went by, then Wednesday, and finally on Thursday he appeared, keyboard in hand, full of apologies, Each night, he said he would be there, and each night, Adrian stayed awake, looking forward to seeing her favorite person. Flaking on me was one thing, but I couldn't stand by and watch Adrian disappoint Adrian. Too many people had already failed her, especially men. I ended our friendship with a simple letter and banned him from our lives, an action Adrian deemed unforgivable. Wearing a shirt that reads choice, not chance, determines our destiny. Sharon, one of Adrian's closest friends, walks in our house around six o'clock that evening. I might have agreed with that slogan a month ago, but now I ask myself, who the hell chooses to have cancer? I say nothing about the shirt to Sharon. Instead, I lead her to Adrian's room where Eli and Adrian are sleeping. Adrian opens her eyes when she hears my voice, which after years of teaching is always a bit too loud. She smiles at us with sleepy eyes, like sunshine pouring into a room after opening the blinds. They reveal an alert mind despite her fatigue. I leave the three teenagers alone, comforted by the pitch of their voices. Sharon a soprano, Adrian an alto, and Eli a bass. John stomps through the door an hour later, yelling about that damn truck in his parking spot. My efforts to calm him down are useless. He's in full-blown temper tantrum mode. Sharon hears his voice, walks into our kitchen, and apologizes to him. Her cheeks flush with embarrassment as she tries to make herself disappear by pulling her body into itself. Head down, shoulders up, chest contracted, she slinks out the door to move her truck. Her fear goes unnoticed by John, who is too busy checking on Adrian to give much thought to anyone else. Sharon returns, mumbling more apologies. I assure her she did nothing wrong. John overreacted. I don't tell her his outbursts are often a reflection of his own insecurities, and that his superiority complex causes him to hurt people's feelings all the time. Once, he commented how ugly this woman on TV was because she had stretch marks on her breast. He didn't see Adrian's reaction or realize the impact his words had on her self-esteem. Last year, he gave me speech lessons for Christmas because he believed I spoke poorly and this deficiency was hurting my acting career. Most of the time, John means well, but sometimes he's just an ass. The phone rings. A male voice asks, have you seen my daughter Sharon? Yes, she's here. I'm Andrea, Adrian's sister. You must be Sharon's father. My attempt at a friendly conversation is met with irritation. Put her on the phone, says the man I've never met. Sharon's father is in town for her graduation, which Adrian wanted to attend but can't because of chemo. Sharon nods a few times and hangs up. Is everything okay, I ask. Sharon says, Yeah, she is a terrible liar. After that phone call, the kids stay in the kitchen with John and me. We talk about graduation and Sharon's college plans until she sobs. I try to meet John's eyes, hoping he can read my thoughts, but he averts my gaze. Sharon thinks this is the last time she is going to see Adrian. I want to shake those thoughts right out of her head. Stop it. Stop crying. Stay positive. Adrian consoles her. Don't be sad. You can come visit me for Christmas and stay here with us. I nod my head in agreement, seconding Adrian's offer. But I am lying. Either I will be too overwhelmed with Adrian's medical care, or there might not be. Stop it! I scream at the voice in my head. Stay positive, damn it. Sharon's cries are muffled now. She offers Eli, who lives less than 10 minutes from us, a ride home. The soft thud of the door closing behind them hits my heart. My back to Adrian. I take a deep breath. I need to refocus my energy. I turn around. I'm going to miss her, says Adrian. I want to promise her she will see Sharon again, but I can't. We both know tonight was more than... I'm going off to college, goodbye. By saying nothing, we speak the truth. Unable to afford all the books I want to buy, I narrowed down my first purchase from Amazon to four titles. Everyone's Guide to Cancer Therapy, The Cancer Recovery Eating Plan, Childhood Cancer, A Parent's Guide to Solid Tumors, and The Physician's Desk Reference for Herbal Medicines. From Chemotherapy to Nutrition, I will learn how to battle the tumors squash them shoot them like the aliens they are it will be like that old arcade game space invaders the tumors will hover over me until i push a button bam 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 the books are my ammunition i will kill one tumor at a time and then continue to the next level only to start all over again tomorrow Adrian will begin her second round of chemotherapy. We have advanced to the next level without killing any of the aliens. The bullets didn't work. The tumors seem to have a force field that protects them from the liquid poison. The only button pushed in this game is the PCA when Adrian is in pain. I can't shoot the tumors. Hell, I can't even see them. I picture them as these pulsating, hissing bubbles of skin but they probably look far less threatening under a microscope. Watching Adrian sleep, I see much suffering her body has endured at the hands of the enemy. She has to lie down at a 45-degree angle. She has almost no hair left. Her skin has lost its natural olive tone. She has a tube in her chest, and she has lost 10 pounds so far. We didn't know the tumors existed a month ago. A silent war raged in Adrian's body, her immune system defenseless against an enemy that had already invaded her lungs. The only signs of trouble were the cessation of her menstrual period and the pain in her right shoulder. Liver cancer represents the worst kind of adversary. We can't see it, hear it, or touch it. A quiet, invisible predator just out of our reach. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Ball The Life 147 Days. I want to apologize for the outside noises you might be hearing, especially on the podcast where you can't see me and you're really paying attention to the sound. My incredible microphone picks up everything and I am not in a soundproof studio. So beginning the next session, I might be switching it up and using a different microphone. We'll see. But again, thank you for watching and listening, and please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson-Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.